Have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Noted that the first four chapters of Deuteronomy is Moses essentially explaining, here's where we are at this point, here's how we got here, and here's why things are the way that they are. And we noted that Deuteronomy is not a restatement of law, but rather the sermon of Moses. Moses gets to speak and explain the law to the people because they're on the brink of entering the promised land. They're going to enter in in just two months, but Moses is not allowed to enter. And so here we are in the plains base of of Mount Pisgah where uh, Moses is going to die and he is now preaching these final sermons to the people. The first four chapters contain the first sermon and today we're going to continue then in looking at chapters 2 through 4 to get the rest of the message that Moses proclaims to the people. We saw in chapter 1 that he reminded them of their history and what had happened to their parents, the prior generation, why they had fallen in the wilderness, and what they then were supposed to learn from that. In chapters 2 and 3, he's going to talk about the things that they saw in their own lifetimes. Things that they observed while they were alive, which then will draw an important sermonic conclusion to them in chapter 4. So that's the layout of these three chapters. The things they observed, and then in chapter 4, what they're supposed to do about that. When you look at chapter 2, you will notice as you read through that, that chapter 2 describes all the lands that they did not conquer. And I think it's important to observe the reason behind that. Three nations are listed as the nations that Israel was not allowed to conquer as they passed through Edom and Moab and and, and Ammon. But the key point to that is described there from chapter 2, 1, all the way through uh, verse 25. And you'll notice then what's pictured in that in verse 25. Uh, This day I will begin to put the dread and the fear of, uh, of, of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish of you. So what you have God saying is here's what's going to happen. When you went into the land and there were these nations that you were not allowed to conquer, the reason why is because God made those nations afraid. And in fact, you'll notice that God observed them through the wilderness in verse 7 when it says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you lacked nothing. And so Moses begins by saying, the reason the other nations didn't attack you is because God was with you in the wilderness. And He instilled a fear of you in the hearts of the other peoples. And that's why they didn't come against you. And that's why they didn't touch you or cause you any problems whatsoever. And I think it's interesting as that's described in in these sections, he even goes along to say, though land was not given to you, but it was to give be given to others. Uh, You'll see that like at the end of verse 9, because I have given R to the people of Lot for a possession. The end of verse 5, that this land of Mount Seir was given to Esau for a possession. Throughout this, you're going to see this message. I was with you and I am Lord not only over Israel, but I'm Lord over all the earth. And these nations were not to touch you and I didn't allow them to touch you. I made sure to be with you in the wilderness and I was taking care of you every step of the way through. 
And when we've talked about and studying Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, that what we are reading about is, is God's picture of redemption, how God is going to save His people, how God is preparing the people to enter glory. And I've noted with you over and over again that this is God telling us that though this was done with Israel, the message to them is the message to us as well. We noted when we were studying Numbers that the message there is we're in the wilderness right now as well, on our way to the promised land. We haven't entered glory yet. We're traveling on our way there. And the New Testament echoes the same messages that God is with us. He is caring for us in in the wilderness. He knows that we are in the wilderness and He's helping us through. And that's why you see God giving those great promises like, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You're in the wilderness and I'm there with you every step of the way. And so that's the message that, that God is giving here. And not only does he say, I kept those nations from harming you, but I protected you along the way as well. Not only in describing in these first 25 verses all the different things that the nations could have done, but you'll notice as we move into verse 26, it's a little bit different there because there's a nation that does attack, and it is King Sihon. You ask them to let you pass through the land, verse 27 and you weren't going to be able to touch anything but that's not what they let you do in verse 30 the Sihon would not let us pass him for the Lord your God had hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might give him into your hand as he has this day and so he begins by saying and then you had that one king And he would not let let you pass through the land. And so what happened was he came up against you and he began to try to war with you. But of course, verse 33, the Lord our God gave him over to us and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. And there's a very important statement that's made in the midst of this and it's in verse 36. From Arur, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, And from the city that is in the valley as far as Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. The Lord our God gave all into our hands. Now, have you thought about why Moses says it like that? He says, okay, there were these three nations that God gave them that land and we were not allowed to take in. The reason they did not harass us is because God was protecting us. And then one king, King Sihon, he decided not to let us go through the land because God hardened his heart. So it wasn't by accident. God hardened his heart to bring judgment on him. And when he came up and warred against us, we utterly defeated him and destroyed them. And he makes the point in verse 36, there was not a city too high for us. Do you remember what Moses said back in chapter 1, verse 28, is why their parents fell in the wilderness? One of the things they said when they went and spied out the land was that the cities were too high and how they reached all the way to the heavens. How fortified those cities were in trying to dissuade the people from going into the land and conquering. That was one of the key points they made. The cities are fortified, the walls are high, and we will not be able to succeed. And Moses recounted that here in Deuteronomy 1 verse 28. And notice the emphasis that Moses makes. My new generation of Israelites... Were the cities too high for us? 
Were the walls too tall? Were the cities too fortified when Sihon came against us? The answer is no. It doesn't matter how big the cities are. It doesn't matter how fortified the cities are. It doesn't matter how tall the walls are. We will be victorious because, as he says there in verse 36, the Lord our God gave all into our hands. This is the big message that Moses is trying to get across. We are going to take this land because God has designated it to us. The reason we weren't given Edom is because God said that was Edom's land. And the reason we didn't get Ammon is because God said that was their land. And the reason we didn't get Moab is because He said that was their land. But God has said, this promised land is ours. And therefore we're going to succeed because He's given this to be our possession. And so it's not just simply you'll notice just some random history about, okay, here's what happened along the way. He is absolutely preaching a message to them and saying, I want you to think about all the lands that we didn't conquer and what God was doing. And it didn't matter that they had big cities or that they had a great army. If God protected us, we were safe. And if the cities were too big and we were going to conquer, then we conquered because God was with us. Now watch how he carries that into chapter 3 because chapter 2 is all about all the lands they did not conquer. In chapter 3 now he reminds them of all the lands they did conquer. And he gives some key reminders about the complete victory that was given. You'll notice a little bit of the description like in verse 3 describes this king of Bashan named Og. In verse 4, they took all of his cities at that time. There was not a city that we did not take from them. Sixty cities, the whole region of Irgob and the kingdom of Og in Bashan. Verse 5, all these cities were fortified with high walls and gates and bars and besides with the very many unwalled villages. So notice there's a description of He had cities and he had fortifications and walls and all of that. And we utterly destroyed. And I think what's particularly interesting is there is this interesting description about King Og. You might have caught this before and you wondered about this. Notice it in verse 11 after describing all of the spoils of victory. It says there in verse 11. For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? Nine cubits was its length and four cubits was its breadth, according to the common cubit. Now, we're basically told King Og's a giant. Is that just some random information? Because as I joke with you all the time, we need to make the Bible fatter. So let's just give some random pieces of information about a guy who had the first king-sized bed. Um, No. Why are we giving this? Why describe this king? Why is the bed so big and so massive and, and so long? Do you remember what the parents said when they were about to attack that land that time? Not only did they say, oh, the walls reach up to the heavens and the cities are so fortified. Remember, they said, there's giants in the land and we are small in their side and we're like grasshoppers. And if we go in, we're going to get utterly destroyed. Moses keys on that and goes, do you remember us dealing then with King Og of Bashan? And you remember the 60 cities that we conquered? And what was he? He was huge. He was a giant. He was tall. And what happened? Complete destruction. 
So what you see Moses doing is saying, I want you to remember the failure of your parents, chapter 1. And see how wrong they were because in chapters 2 and 3 he reminds them, we conquered cities with high walls and fortifications and gates and bars. We went up against the giants. The whole point of this is that there is not an obstacle too great for them. Look at verse 21, how this sermon is rounding out. Verse 21, and I commanded Joshua at that time. Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. The reason he recounts this is to say, don't forget and don't fear. We will be victorious in going into the land because we've conquered giants before. We've conquered fortified cities before. And so it is a reminder to them that there is no reason to disbelieve, to think that God is not going to do this. He is going to give them victory and He is not going to fail them. And then in the midst of that, your Bible might have a little header there to key in what verses 23 through 29 are about. But He reminds them, By describing himself. And he says, now I pleaded to go into the land. And God said no. And why do you think that's there? I submit to you again and again that Moses is not self-serving in the things that he says or preaches. But rather, this is a reminder what happens when we rebel. Let's not forget the lessons learned in the wilderness. When we are about to cross into that land, don't you dare cross into that land and forget what God did for you in the wilderness. How He protected you, how you conquered kings, how you leveled cities, and how God protected you from other nations. Do not forget that because God is going to come in with you and He will give you the victory. He is going to fight for you. Verse 22, do not fear them. And do not rebel. And as I said, like the prior generation, I think Moses is kind of putting himself into that very box. Instead, verse 28, he tells them, Joshua has been given the charge to lead them into the promised land. He shall be head over them, and he is the one that will be the new leader to take over. Now, why tell all that? Chapter 4 now gets to the first exhortation that Moses wants to give them. Chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Notice how he opens this up by says, Now you have seen everything that God has done. You have seen how God protected you in the wilderness. You have seen how He dealt with the other nations that they had fear and dread of you. And that's why they did not touch you. And the nations that did come against you, God gave you victory, even if they were giants, even if they had fortified cities. And now He says now in chapter 4, verse 1, So follow 
God's teachings. Don't change them. Don't add to them. Don't take from them. I want you to follow carefully everything that God has told you to do. That is certainly the big message coming out of the book of Numbers and coming out of the wilderness. What did we say was the big message of the book of Numbers? But rebellion causes failure to not enter the promised land. That's the big story of Numbers. Do not disobey and do not rebel. And here is Moses, one of his final sermons to the people. As he says, you know, guys, I don't get to go in. Follow God's teachings. Don't add to them. Don't change them. Don't subtract from them. Follow them carefully and do as God has commanded you. Notice verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land you are entering to take possession of the of uh, take possession of it. Verse six: Keep them and do them. Now, why? For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sights of the people who, when they hear all these statutes, will say. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I've set before you today? Can you hear Moses? Oh, this is great. Moses says, here's what I want you to understand. Keep the laws. Listen to God's teachings. Don't add to them. Don't change them. And he says, here's what's going to happen. When you do what God says, when you follow His teachings, that is going to be a display of wisdom to the world. You are already getting this picture here of how Israel was intended to be a light to the nations and salvation to the ends of the earth. You're going to come into the land and you're going to obey everything that God says. And it's going to cause all the nations to confess that you are a great nation. In fact, you might remember there is a very small moment in Israel's history where that kind of thing is happening. When Solomon reigns. And the queen of Sheba comes and is just lavishing praise about the wisdom of Solomon and how great this nation is. You're getting a small inkling of what was supposed to happen in the obedience of Israel that nations would hear of this and they would see the wisdom that would come from obeying. Uh, I think this is such an important picture of what it looks like in being the salt of the earth and the light to the nations, is here we are obeying God and we are showing the world the wisdom of following God, the reason why it is wise to obey, why that is good to do that. That is what is being pictured for us as the nation of Israel is given that picture here so that they would say, surely this is a wise and understanding people. You'll notice in those verses, verse 7 and verse 8, that you have Moses highlighting two special blessings that Israel would enjoy in their relationship with God. Verse 8, verse 7 gives us the first one. They're going to recognize for what great nation is there 
that a God is so near it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him. The point that Moses makes is, do you want to know what makes you special? Is you have a God who is so close to you that you can call on him whenever you want. He says that's what makes Israel special. That's what makes Israel different. That's what sets it apart. What other nation, he says, could be like this nation that has a God so close that when they cry out to him and when they desire to talk to him, he is right there so near that they would have a God that would answer. A beautiful picture of what it means. And I hope that we would think about for a minute what a powerful blessing that is to us. It's somewhat sad how we portray prayer as like something you have to do. <laughs> prayer is this obligation. I guess I need to pray more. I, yeah, you know, I, do, I just, you know, I don't pray, so I guess I need to be praying. I want you to see Moses does not look at it as, well, you know, and before you go in the promised land, let me tell you, one of the commandments is pray. <laughs> he goes, do you understand the blessing you have? You have a God so close, so near to you, that whenever you call, He's there. Whenever you wish to speak to Him, He's there. What other nation has that kind of relationship? What other nation has such a God? In fact, if you think about pagan gods and Greek and Roman gods, they're always pictured as these faraway gods. Here is Moses saying, this is not the God we have. We have a God who is near us, who is with us in the wilderness, and we can call upon him at any time. And so here is a, a picture given to us as well, that we have a God who listens to us and is near us. And not only that, notice the other distinction in verse 8. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you? The other great blessing, he says, is... You have God's laws. You have the blessing of having His statutes. You have His teachings. You have His words right there with you. And I just thought about that and I thought, who thinks of God's laws like that? Often God's laws are, oh, there's God's laws. You know, thou shalt and thou shalt not do this and don't do that. And notice again, Moses does not picture the law like that. He does not describe God's law and all that has been given out through Moses at Mount Sinai and say, now you know, it's just an obligation of things we have to do, but you know, the promised land is going to be worth it, so go ahead and do it. You know, sometimes how we portray God's law. You know, heaven's going to be worth it, so deal with it now. Here's what he says. He says, the law is a blessing. How great it is that you know God's law, that you are able to possess it and know it and know the God that you serve. He says this is a great thing that makes us distinct as well. The psalmist praises that when he says there in Psalm 25 and verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love. You think about that. All the ways, all the directions, all the things that he says, all the ways that he tells you to go. Every command that He gives you, every declaration He makes is steadfast love. It's covenant faithfulness. It's a representation of how God loves His people. 
There are steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep his covenant and his testimony. I think this is an important aspect of God's law to ponder for a moment. Because what Moses is declaring about God is that the way God's laws are, as they have been given, and by the way, think about this, this is the law of Moses we're talking about. For all of our, you know, wow, sacrifices and priests and all the things that were required under the law. And this is what he's talking about. And he's saying, these things, as they are given to us, are a special blessing. And they reveal the grace and the steadfast love and mercy of God. They show God's faithfulness. And it shows it to the world. Remember, that's what verse 6 was telling us. This is wisdom to the world. Our obedience to God's law is wisdom to the world. And us praying to God is the special blessing that we have, that we are showing to the world. And these laws that we possess is a special blessing that we are showing to the world. And the reason why I want us to think about that is because if we choose to change God's laws, update it, modernize it, make it more relevant, rather than showing the beauty and the glory of God, you are actually detracting from the glory of God. Because back in verse 2, what did he say? Don't change this. Don't add to it. Don't take from it. Don't make any changes to it whatsoever. That Such a disaster is happening when we try to take God's law and change it, soften it, sharpen it, make it different than what it actually says. We are not allowing people to see the beauty of God when we do that. We are changing it to our own devices and what we want it to say rather than helping people see the glory of God. Ultimately then, rather than seeing prayer And seeing God's law as something, as an obligation or a duty, we ought to see it as a treasure, as a blessing. After reading those two verses, I thought, what are probably some of the biggest things that we devalue and ridicule of God's blessings that Moses highlights? Ridicule prayer and ridicule God's law. What's the point? Just talking to the air. Or, it's God's law, who cares? Do what you want to do. And notice how Moses says, as God said it, as God has given it, that is to be a treasure to us. And that's why then he would say in verse 9, so only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children And your children's children, keep these things in your heart. Watch your life closely and teach them to others. I'm going to save the teaching to the children and the children's children of chapter 6. Because 6 has a very big thing about that. And so I'll spend more time there. But notice what he simply is highlighting. Because of the blessings you have and because of what you've seen God do in the past, watch yourselves closely, take care, keep your soul diligently, and don't forget the things that God has done. Now, why say all that? 
from verse 11 on, he's going to remind them about about what happened at Sinai. And the big highlight that Moses makes is, remember when you were at Sinai, and of course, many of these kids would not have seen that. Some of them would. Some of them would, some of them wouldn't. And he says, here's what happened back there at Sinai. God spoke, and you saw no form. Simply the voice of God thundered down from that mountain. There was no form, there was nothing for you to see. And the reason why that is highlighted here is because he's going to warn them about idolatry. Just as it was in Exodus, after those Ten Commandments were completed and the covenant was stated, remember God said, the reason why I did it that way, that you did not see me, is so that there would be no idolatry. And now Moses says, now I want you to watch your heart, keep your soul diligently, don't add or take away from anything I've given you because of the warning of idolatry. I want you to be very careful and watch out for your souls. As he moves through that description, there's a very important definition that I want to highlight for you in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and wrote them on two tablets of stone. You might read that and go, well, what's the big deal about that? It's actually a really big deal because you really won't read about the Ten Commandments ever again. What you'll always hear the text say or the prophet declare is the covenant that I made with you at Horeb. And when you read that phrase, you're supposed to think about this. This law, Ten Commandments, and all the covenant stipulations that were made at the mountain. For whatever reason, Ten Commandments kind of goes by the wayside and it's just the covenant that I made with you. Or like was just read for us. Not like the covenant I made with you when we did have the Lord's Supper there. Same idea. Is you're remembering the Ten Commandments. You're remembering all these covenant stipulations. And so God commanded me to teach you these statutes and laws. You saw no form so that you would not then participate in any idolatry whatsoever. Verse 16, not to make any image And notice what he describes here, and not after he gets through all the animals in verse 17 and verse 18, the things that creep on the ground or the fish in the sea. Verse 19, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, that you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Here basically he just says, do not worship the creation do not worship anything that you see anything that's been made anything that's being created he lays out all the different animals in verse 17 he did verse verse 16 don't worship humans verse 17 animals on the earth verse 17 birds verse 18 if it creeps on the ground if it's in the water verse 19 sun moon star sky if it was made If it's part of the creation, do not honor it or worship it. He says that's idolatry. Don't do it. Such an important warning. You might quickly have your mind remind you of Romans 1. Very same thing. Where God there reminds them of why the wrath of God came against them. Because they exchanged the glory of the Creator and began to worship the created things. And here is this warning as well. You're going to go into the land. And the last thing that I want you to do is to worship created things. Do not 
treasure them and value them. Treasure God and worship the One who made those things. The creation, the animals, the sea, and all that is in them are all a display of the glory of God. And we're supposed to look at those things and be in awe of God. Not be in awe of the creation. Not be in awe of the created, but of the Creator. The warning is so strong that he says in verses 25 and 26, if you go to idolatry, then all the blessings are going to be lost. If you begin to worship the created things and you honor them and value them and you treasure them rather than your God, he says all those blessings are are going to come against you. Verse 26, you're not going to live long in the land, but you will be utterly destroyed. Verse 27, I'll scatter you among the people. There will be few left in number from among the nations where I drive you. You've been with us on Sunday morning in Ezekiel. There you go. (laughs) Right there. God said that's exactly what's going to happen. As we see in Ezekiel, they're worshiping idols. They have their back to God completely as they worship these idolatrous things. And so he warns them, do not do that. Instead, remember the covenant that I have made with you. Do not forget all that I have done for you. As he says there in verse 23, take care and do not forget the covenant that the Lord your God made with you, which will then cause you to go into idolatry it's a reason why God has given us a weekly memorial that we would not forget the covenant that has been made with us that's what that's about is remembering a covenant has been made that we belong to we will not forget all that God has accomplished for us and done for us our weekly memorial in the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us of those very things now watch this beautiful thing Verse 29 implies that they're going to do idolatry. And verse 29 says, But from there, that'd be in their exile, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you'll return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore. Do you hear that beautiful promise? He says, now Moses goes, and you're going to fail. You're going to become a bunch of idolaters. That's what we do. We treasure other things than God. We value everything else but God Himself. We elevate the created. We elevate the possessions. We elevate the made things of this world. And He says, now here's what's going to happen. Here's the kind of God you serve. Is in that time, if you will search for the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, that the Lord your God is a merciful God and you're going to fight Him. That's amazing. We have a God that says, if you will search for Him with all of your heart, you'll find Him. He's not going to leave you. In fact, notice the three phrases of verse 31. He will not leave you. He will not destroy you. He will not forget His covenant that He's made with you. 
for all of the faithlessness and failure that you see in the people of Israel. God held true to that and said, I'm a merciful God. And if you'll call to me and seek me with all of your heart, if you will search for me, you will find me. And I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. I will not destroy you. I will not forget the covenant that I've made with you. Instead, I'm going to be with you. And that's how the rest of chapter 4 flows in such a, a beautiful way. And speaking of really the righteousness and faithfulness that we see of God. In verses 32 through 35, he describes, There's no God like the Lord our God because He's revealed Himself in this way. Because He's come near to us and because He's given us His laws. And He knowingly says, I know you're going to fail, but I'll still be here if you search for Me. If you really want a relationship with me, I'll still be here. I won't leave you. I will not destroy you. I won't forsake the covenant. I will be here because there's no God like me. I'm different from anybody else. And not only that, notice in verse 37, why is he doing this? Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his, by his own presence, by his great power. We've highlighted that truth again and again and again. Why did God rescue His people? Because they were so good? Because they were so righteous? Because they weren't idolaters? Because they were so faithful? Because they were so trusting in the Lord every step of the way? We've seen far from that. No, God says the reason I do is because I love you. and You've been chosen. And that's why he maintains his covenant with his people. And so verse 40 then ends by saying, Therefore, keep the statutes, keep his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children and those after you that may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. What Moses does as we conclude in this sermon is essentially first sermon gives for the people what the road to success is. We're going to go into the land. Here is how to enter the promised land and enter into glory and not fail. And the message to Israel is the same message to us. If we want to make it through the wilderness and enter the promised land, he began by saying, listen to the commands of God. To listen to what he says, to put them into our hearts and carefully observe them. That we would look at the law of God as a blessing, to see God's law as a grace, that it is God revealing himself to us. We read the scriptures not for the rules. I'm afraid for a very long time the scriptures have been portrayed that way and taught that way. We read it and we look for the do and do nots. What do I have to do? What do I not have to do? What do I need to avoid? What do I need to do? And God doesn't present himself that way. What God says about his word is, do you want to know me? And this is how you come to know me. If you want a relationship with God, you carefully listen to his teachings. That's how you draw closer to God. Our limbs for the scripture should not be, well, just tell me what I have to do. 
or just tell me what I'm not supposed to do. That is like the joy of reading an owner's manual in your car. I'm sure all of you, when you bought your car, all popped open the glove compartment and before you drove it off the lot, you sat there with the sales guide, you read from start to finish all the do and do nots of this vehicle. Boring. And we turn the word of God into that. Okay, make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Make sure you pray. Make sure you don't. That's not what God wanted us to do with His Word. His Word is here as a blessing. It is how we come to know God. That Moses is telling the people, who else gets to know God like you? You have the Word of God in your hands. And you have heard His message. And you have heard His voice. And we want to listen to everything He has to say. And thus, He doesn't want us to come to Him out of some kind of obligation or some kind of begrudging requirement. It's one of the worst things that also has ever been taught. It's, well, you just need to go to church. No, you don't. God doesn't care. (laughs) As if He cares that you plopped yourself in a pew for two hours. He's just thrilled. How excited is He? He wants your heart. He wants your love. Come to Him because you love Him. This whole storyline all began not with do this, do this, do this. First three chapters were, do you remember everything God did for you? Do you remember everything in the wilderness? How God protected you from those nations? And how when that nation attacked, how He rescued you. And how He gave those enemies into your hands. What He's doing is saying, I want you to look back at your life and see everything that God has done for you so that, chapter 4, you will listen to Him and you will love Him. Look at what He's done for you in the past so that you will go forward loving Him. Not just simply, because God told you to, you need to do it. But to see that God desires us to come near to Him. And He says, you come near to me in prayer. What other God uh, is so near that you can speak to Him whenever you want. He's come so near. And what God is so near that you can know everything you could ever need to know about Him right here. What you need to know, He revealed it. All the things we want to argue about is on an adult need to know basis. <laughs> what He has told us, that's what we need to know. He's revealed who He is. He's revealed His character. He's revealed who He is. And thus He turns around and says, Now if you seek Me, you'll find Me. If you want a relationship with God, you can be as close to God as you want to be. It's not God not being near you. It's us not being near God. He's given us His laws and He's come near in prayer. And He says, I want you to love me and I want to take you into the promised land. That's the road to success. To listen to His words and draw near to God. We'll sing an invitation song. We invite you to see the grace of God and to come near to Him with all of your heart to seek Him and you will find Him. He is not a God that wants to be far from you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants you to draw near to Him. Oh, how often the New Testament tells us that. 
How Jesus would even say, Come to me, all of you that are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. The call is constant by our Lord. Come to me. I want a relationship with you. And if we are honest, what's the thing that gets in the way? The thing that he warned about. Idols. We allow the cares of this world and the things of this world to block a beautiful relationship that we can have with our Lord. Turn away from sins. Confess Jesus to be the Son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and draw close to Him with all of your heart. Can we help you do that? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?